Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. Our guest today is Victoria Judd, a multi-specialist financing lawyer who advises borrowers and financial institutions on a broad range of transactions, including energy and infrastructure projects, acquisition finance, leveraged finance, restructurings, real estate finance, sustainable finance, and corporate finance. Victoria handles both domestic UK and cross-border debt financings. We recently had the pleasure of speaking with Victoria for our piece on Brexit and financial institutions in episode 27. This time, Victoria is here to talk about green and sustainability-linked debt instruments. Welcome back to our podcast, Victoria. It's great to be here again, Joel. ESG has been a prominent thing in corporate headlines and in the boardroom lately, starting with a focus on the E in ESG. And Europe has been at the forefront of this, with the U.S. to a certain extent playing catch-up. Can you start us off with an introduction to some of the vocabulary and explain to us the difference between the terms green and sustainability-linked? Sure, Joel. You're quite right. There is an increasing amount of vocabulary in this area and a lot of TLAs or three-letter acronyms. ESG, SLL, SPT, KPI, SPO, just to name a few of them. But um, let's just go back um, to to the starting point. Uh, There are really two main types of financial products in this area. One is the green bond and the other is the sustainability linked loan or SLL for short. So the green bond is the most popular example to date of a use of proceeds financial product. And financing is raised to fund a specific project or a series of projects. And they're identified in the purpose clause of the document and form the rationale of the investment. Of course, I say green bonds, but there are also blue bonds, which are for water-based products, ESG or sustainable bonds, which have a more generic an environmental, social, and governance goal, or social bonds, which fund social projects. And then you have the other side of the picture, where you have sustainability-linked loans. So these are loans which contain sustainability performance targets, or another TLA, an SPT. And they're set to be specific and ambitious for the relevant borrower. So SPTs are then linked to a margin ratchet. So if you don't comply with the required target, then you end up paying more interest. So you may hear people talk about KPIs and SPTs. So KPIs are key performance indicators or the indicator that the company chooses to comply with, for instance, say, greenhouse gas emissions. And then the SPT is a target threshold that needs to be met so that you're on the right side of the pricing mechanic in the loan. And SLLs, we talked about green bonds. SLLs can have E, S, or G elements to them, so environmental, social, or governance. And sometimes they can have only one or up to about three separate targets in the loan. So you can obviously get financial instruments that fall somewhere between green bonds and SLLs using various combinations. The you know, financial markets are um, adaptive and um, creative. So you can get, for instance, a sustainability-linked bond, which is a bond with the SPT linkage, or you can get a green loan, which is a loan with a green purpose. Or you can th- find things like China or US private placements that would include one of the two mechanisms. So that's fascinating how the market is evolving in that way 
Could you describe some of the types of projects that are recognized as green and also maybe talk about uh, outside organizations, perhaps, that dictate what qualifies as a green project? Sure. So generally speaking, um, for the purpose of use of proceeds, financial instruments, green projects are simply projects that are sustainable or socially responsible. So good for the environment. There's no real definition as to what it consists of a green project, but the green bond principles, which were produced by ICMA, do provide an indicative list of the types of projects that are covered. So, I mean, in that list, you'll have things like renewable energy, energy efficiency, clean transportation, and responsible waste management. But it's broader than that still, because you can also have things like green buildings and eco-efficiency and pollution prevention and control. So there's a trend here. If it's good for the environment, then you can probably qualify it. You know, it will fit within the concept of a green bond. Um, so, I mean, you could definitely have a, a green investment arm that's looking to invest in certain environmentally friendly projects, or you could also have a renewable energy company that's looking just for money to fund something that is doing it for its corporate purposes. So there's a, there's a range of things you can do. The green bond principles that I mentioned from ICMA also have other aspects to them. So you have to, you know, it helps you choose how you select your projects um, to make sure they're environmentally sustainable and have the right objectives and transparency. It helps you say how you should manage your proceeds, so tracking them, for instance, using targeted accounts. And then as a third aspect, there's a ongoing reporting requirements to just make sure that you keep people up to date and provide details as to how monies are allocated towards certain projects. And how does that contrast with SPTs and KPIs that you spoke about earlier? And who, if anybody, sets the substance and or the metrics for those criteria in the sustainability link products? So yeah, SPTs and KPIs use a different approach. Instead of looking at the whole project, you're looking at certain targets being achieved by the borrowing company or the group. So in an SLL, monies would be used for general corporate purposes. But then the company has to achieve certain ambitious and predetermined sustainability targets. And you can negotiate those and, and set them depending on the position and the, of the borrower and the sector that it's in. So the key requirements here, and again, there are some SLL principles, much like the green bond principles, the key requirements are that they should be ambitious and meaningful and tied to sustainability improvement. So that means that you would look at something that's already been measured, um, for instance, in the last six to 12 months to set them, and that you'll, aware, you'll also set them by reference to the sector and area that the company's in. So if you're a supermarket chain, then perhaps the you know decreasing the amount of plastics or ensuring you recycle might be appropriate. Whereas if you're an energy company, then the greenhouse gas um, element might be something you want to report. On. The key point, as with green bonds, is about transparency. And very much um, borrowers are encouraged to report the data relevant to SBTs on a public basis. Right. So you mentioned uh, the concept of a pricing ratchet. I know that in a green debt instrument, the pricing tends to be locked in and takes into account the nature of the project. But with a sustainability-linked debt instrument, there is a ratchet. How does that work? So the pricing ratchet is a mechanism whereby the margin flexes in the event that the SPTs are reached. So for instance, you've got a company that has three targets at three SPTs, and then it gets tests for compliance on an annual basis. 
it has complied, hooray. So the margin will go down and the company will pay less interest going forward. If, however, the company didn't comply, then the margin would stay at the previous level, level without any penalty. Now, that's the simplistic model. And obviously, these things are negotiated and you can have lots of variations. So one of the um, more common variations at the moment is that the margin can go up if you fail to comply as well. And so you can get sort of a two-way um, mechanism. Now, this has actually attracted some criticism in the market because the idea is then that the banks are making money if people are failing to comply with ESG, which doesn't sort of paint the right picture for the banks who are sponsoring the deals. So one way around that is to have a, a lockup account or, for instance, to pay money to an NGO or charity corporation or cause if things go wrong. And then you can also have, you know, several step downs and, and you know, do, do different things to sort of, um, you know, encourage movement across the time of the loan. To date, we're usually looking at about 5 to 15 bips of um, variation on pricing, but who knows if that will increase in the future when people want to incentivize, um, incentivize borrowers more. And I also say that at the moment, it, there's no linkage to an event of default. So the only consequence for non-compliance is, um, is a greater margin in paying more interest. That said, it's all negotiable. So I guess we'll see what, what will happen in the future. Very interested to see how that develops in the market. Turning now to reporting obligations, I guess um, it would seem that those and external reviews by independent third parties could play a significant role in these financings. And there must also be some important differences between how the loan market versus the bond market would handle those requirements. What can you tell us about that? Um, well, whether you're actually referring to a green bond or an SLL, then reporting is key regardless. And for bonds, that means keeping a record of how monies are applied and allocated to projects. And for SLLs, it means keeping a record of the data relevant to the SPTs. In each case, um, it, public disclosure is recommended. Um, now, there's less control in terms of reporting for bonds just by virtue of how the money is applied. Once you've applied the money in the right way, then there's sort of no real ongoing um, control, save obviously the reputational damage if you suddenly pivoted all your projects to something that wasn't ESG friendly anymore. So, so mm -hmm. limit, slightly more limited control in those cases. With SLLs, the control tends to be more continuous in that you have to continue to declare and sort of on a, say, 12 monthly basis, you have to, uh, you have an ongoing compliance covenant. Now, firms can um, try to refer to external parties to make sure they're reporting data properly. And this is where the second party opinion comes in. So for bonds, what they're doing is um, you, you get a third party to come in to say that indeed the proceeds are used towards the right purposes. And then for SLLs, um, although they're le slightly less common for SLLs, what you're doing is you're getting uh, the sustainability criteria of the KPI and calibrating ESPT to be controlled by that third party. So in, in both cases, you're looking at increasing credibility and getting external assurance for your financial product. So at the moment, second party opinions and sort of this third party validation isn't mandatory. It's just an extra level of comfort for the company. And given that greenwashing is, is a fact in the market, then it helps you avoid that. So let me just explain. Greenwashing is really mess, misrepresenting that 
facts in a way to benefit from an environmentally friendly image. And so by getting a third party to come in and say, you know, these SPTs are in line with market or they're competitive compared to um, what everyone else is doing, and this is indeed meaningful and ambitious, then you are protecting yourself from the risk of greenwashing. You can actually also get third parties to come in and count things like greenhouse gases or give you an ESG rating. So there are other ways to um, get that third party validation. I think one of the nice things about this area is it's good to see for a change Europe leading the way on products like this rather than taking a backseat to the US. And it must be nice for you being based in London to be on the cutting edge of this type of product development. It is. It's super fun. Um, I think the, what I'd say is that these products have been developing for a while. So even before the green bond principles came out, I mean, you could invest in you know green projects, right? And the um, SLLs has sort of taken that the green bond principles and the SLL principles have taken something and sort of established a standardization so that more people can can do it and know what direction to go into. So I think that's the exciting part is that actually now there's a, a bit of a roadmap in, in terms of how people can apply ESG and really put it towards their businesses. But the, the fun part is, yeah, as you say, seeing these metrics evolve and working out what suits our clients best because it's still reasonably borrower driven because it has to, you know, it has to fit their businesses. It has to fit their strategy and, and really be something that they can work towards. So um, that's, that's the fun part. And I, I think um, given the new administration in the States, um, I'm sure the U.S. will catch up soon and China in Asia Pacific uh, and not far behind. Let's definitely keep our eyes on that. Thanks for a great discussion today, Victoria, and I hope you'll come back again with another exciting topic for us. Thank you, Joel. It's been a pleasure to join you today, and I'd be delighted to return. And now it's time for This Week in History. May 31st, 1837 was a sad day in England and in many other parts of Europe, for on that day, Joseph Grimaldi passed away. Grimaldi was an English actor, comedian, dancer, and one of the most famous clowns of his time. He expanded the role of the clown in the English pantomime known as Harlequinade, and he invented the white-faced clown with colorful clothes that we all know and love today. And although his name might not be familiar to many of you, Joseph Grimaldi has not been forgotten. He is buried in Joseph Grimaldi Park in Islington, a neighborhood in London. But even more than that, on the first Sunday in February, in every year since 1946, until this year when the pandemic interfered, there has been a memorial service held at a church in Hackney, another neighborhood in London. And clowns from all over England and some from other countries in Europe congregate to commemorate and celebrate the life of Joseph Grimaldi, the Clown of Clowns. If you ever have a chance to attend this service, which my family and I had the good fortune to experience in 2002, I can tell you that it is truly something magical. That's all for now. Catch all our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music, as well as on our website, pillsburylaw.com. Thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast. 